Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. And uh, I'll tell you, Brother Greg and our musicians this morning have brought us to a time of worship which reflects, uh, in part, exactly what the folks in Jerusalem gathered that day and heard what Jesus had to say. Brings us exactly to that point in that time of worship. Israel was celebrating the fact that God had set them free And not only that, but he had sustained them. So that's where we want to go this morning with this particular passage. And in John, the seventh chapter, and uh, we're going to begin reading here uh, with the 37th verse and go through the end of the chapter. But basically today, I want to center my thoughts around the context, the scene, the bombshell, and the response. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we begin. I'm gonna come down here to stand with you. Let's stand together as we pray. I'm gonna gonna come down here and stand with you as is my custom because I want you to know I don't stand above you. We all stand together at the same level, the foot of the cross, and we stand there to hear God's word. Pray for me, pray for me. Uh, we need to hear God's word. I want to be effective in conveying God's word. And I want to do that humbly. I want to do that before him. I want his power to flow in this moment. Perhaps through me, through the scripture, and perhaps through my words and your prayers that God may touch and move to whoever hears this message and whoever in this world hears our time of worship together, that this time together may matter for him. I'm deeply moved by that. And I'm deeply humbled by it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this privilege that we have. On this day, we thank you for our country. We thank you, Lord, for the Constitution of the United States and for men who so many years ago understood the value of religious faith and of all religions and understood the great harm that can come when religion and when government come together and saw in their wisdom to keep them separate, to not establish a religion, to not inhibit the free exercise of religion. So we stand today on this corner in this town, contending the mission of this church, which does not come from the Constitution, but comes from your word, and that is to proclaim that in our belief and the freedom to believe it, we believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to all that man may ask. And all that man needs to be, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, 
his resurrection, the giving of his Holy Spirit is the answer. We pray, Lord, that you'll create a thirst in us to know more about you and to those who may not know you in a personal way. We pray, Heavenly Father, that in this message today that they'll hear and they might believe and they might receive forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. Carry us along by your Spirit, Lord. Open our hearts, soften our hearts, soften our hearts, Lord, we pray that we may hear and that we may be what you want us to be. Help me as we preach. Carry me along, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's begin reading here in the seventh chapter and begin reading with this 37th verse. I invite you to read what happens previous to this time because it is a happy day in Jerusalem. There are a lot of religious teachers there in that day. Jesus is one of them. You'll notice he at first said he wasn't gonna go. His brothers, we assume this is unbelieving brothers, said, oh, go on up, you need to demonstrate your power. He said, I'm not going. And then, not because they said so, but because the Lord led him, he goes on up. He arrives in about the middle of the week. And he begins teaching. They knew about him. They'd seen the miracles that he had performed. In fact, the people were asking for him. And then in the middle of that, on the last day of that, we come to the 37th verse. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not been glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Meaning one promised in the Old Testament, a version of the Messiah. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely, the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him, obviously Baptist. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they said to them, why did you not bring him? They had sent, uh, the chief priest had sent the temple police out to get him. And uh, you have to read the first part of the chapter. And, and uh, they come and they don't have him. They didn't arrest him. They went and hurt him and didn't arrest him. And, and, and they said, why didn't you bring him? And the officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, you've not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, who came to him before, being one of them, in other words, Nicodemus shows up in the third chapter of John, goes and talks to Jesus by night. He was a Pharisee. He said to them, 
Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? They answered him, are you not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own home. We understand something of what Jesus is saying and what it means to us today when you understand the context. And the context that John is trying to bring to us in his gospel is that he is declaring from the outset that Jesus was God in the flesh, that Jesus had pre-existed with God, that the world as we see it now was created by Christ. It was created in conjunction with Jesus the Son, God the Father, which are co-equal. He was there at the beginning. He wasn't a God. He was God. And so who was standing before them and who John is telling you about, he's trying to show that Jesus is not only just the Messiah, but he is God himself. He is the word of God. He is the message of God that comes to proclaim what God is trying to tell mankind, what he had been saying through the law, what he had been saying in the desert, what he had been saying in Egypt, what he had said to Abraham is that God, what he had said to Adam and Eve, God wants to have a relationship with you and he's doing everything in his power and now in Christ in his own person to bring redemption to mankind. John is saying, look, here is Jesus. Look at the miracles he did. John, in his book, calls them signs. And that means they're a billboard. And the billboard, as Jesus uh, performed these miracles, they were billboards. And Jesus' commentary on the miracles, they were billboards. They said, this is who Jesus is. Who is he? Well, the argument had been here in the first part of chapter 7. He is from God. His authority was from God. He didn't do it of himself. He didn't go up to the, to the feast that day because men told him, if you want to really be popular, you need to go up there and do something. He came because he was being obedient to the Father, which he submitted himself to when he came in flesh as a man among us. So John is saying every sign which Jesus performed draws men, if they want to look at it, to say who he is. He is, as we say, the Son of God. So John is trying to tell us that this Jesus is the redemption that Israel was looking for, the ultimate redemption. And if we go back to John 3.16, for God so the world, the whole world, the whole cosmos is that world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is John's concept of what Jesus was doing in every miracle he performed, in every word he spoke, by his death and his resurrection, he was saying, I am the I am that has come to you in flesh so that you may see it and understand it. I am the Savior. And that's the gospel we preach. That through the body of Christ, through God's own flesh, he bore the price for our sin and death for what? To make us feel bad? No, in order to liberate us, not from the bond of Egypt, but from that we might have fellowship with him. In fact, that we might have that 
living water in us, which is what? Which is the promise of the Holy Spirit that comes to every believer. If you don't have it, you need to check up on your relationship with God because Jesus said, my Holy Spirit will be in you and it's gonna spring up into everlasting life. You're gonna have a relationship with me that lasts all the way to heaven. That's the context that, that John is trying to tell us about, the context that, that he is saying this whole thing takes place in, in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there's the scene. Because we're in the middle of a religious festival. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. Our Jewish cousins have a lot in common with us as Baptists. When they got together, they ate. And this was, everybody brought their casserole. You know, everybody brought their casserole. And they bring, came from all over Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. And here's what they did. It was a, it was a favorite and best attended festival of all that, uh, the festivals that they had as Jewish people. They came and camped out. Uh, I read one commentator that said they camped out up in the, uh, up in the vineyards. You know, you had the, 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 the grapevines tied up there and they'd throw things over and they'd camp out there all week. Oh, I'm sure some rich Jew come up with a, a Winnebago that he drove up in, you know, and self-contained showers and all that. But most people were just camping out in a tent. Because why? Well, that's the way that they camped out in the desert when God brought them out of the slavery of Egypt. He brought them out of the wilderness and they were camping out in tents. And so, you know, the kids loved this. All their cousins were there, everybody was there. Mom was cooking, you know, women are always cooking. Camping's a big deal for, for women, you know. They just work just as hard camping as they do at home. That's what my mother used to say. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they camped and the women were cooking and you know how good all that smelled outside. And if you were a kid, you, you went over here and ate the best meal with that family. And then you went to your house and ate the best meal and you ran all around and you saw all your relation. It was a wonderful time, but I'm gonna tell you, that wasn't the point. The point was in this Feast of Festivals that it went eight days. It was seven days in the Old Testament. They'd added an eighth day, another Sabbath day they'd added to all of this. And the idea was that you celebrated that time that God brought you out of Egypt, the time when God had saved them and how he had sustained them in the desert and how he was sustaining them now. Oh, I want to tell you, if Greg would have been the music director for that, and there was one, he would have worked most of the year on making for sure all of that was right. Because I want to tell you, those Jewish people sang all week long. They had one object lesson, if you will. They had one tradition after another, which symbolized every element of God sustaining them in the wilderness. Every element that they had, all they, they had, uh, lit up the whole temple area and it was said by people who saw it at that time that you could see Jerusalem for miles away because why? God had led them by a column of fire by night. And so all of the celebration was there. It was a Thanksgiving celebration because harvest had just occurred. You can imagine the excitement. They were singing the Psalms of David. The best musicians in the world had come. What a worship service. I want to tell you what the Feast of Tabernacles was like, Thanksgiving, church camp, Bible conference, a brush arbor meeting, but it was bigger and greater. 
It was a time of tremendous, tremendous worship. And in that time, the scene setting here, there's a water pitcher ceremony. You remember in a desert land, God had to provide probably a million people out there in the desert. He had to provide them with water. No water truck showed up. They carried some bottled water with them. But basically they ran out of water. How do you get water in the desert? Well, God put them in a place they had to rely on him. And you remember there was that scene in the Old Testament where the rock is struck and out of that water as God's people are complaining, this water flows. It's told about several places, referred to many places. Brian already read one passage about that this morning. I refer you to Psalm 78, 18, and it says there, and in their heart, they put God to the test. This is the nation of Israel. They put God to the test. They got out there. You brought us out here to die, they said to God. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. We don't have any provision out here. They put God to the test by asking for food according to their desire. They spoke against God. They said, God, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? And behold, the psalmist says, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? And the answer is, yes, he will. But I read that part of the psalm to set the scene that talks about the rock being struck and water flowing out. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's referred to again and again and again. So the scene is, they're worshiping. It's a high and holy moment. And in that scene, in the first day of the feast, they go down and get copious amounts of water from the pool of Siloam and they carry it up and put it in storage containers there up at the Temple Mount. And every day there is a pitcher ceremony. A pitcher of water is drawn. People are singing. Scripture is being quoted. Scripture, they're singing scripture. And people are singing and they're waving symbols of worship to God and they're praising him. It's a high and holy moment and the picture is taken and it's there at the altar and they turn that picture over and they pour it out. And there's a great shout and people are seeing. Not up on a screen. They're seeing, they're seeing and watching what it must have been like as they sing and praise God for him to provide water in a desert place. They do that all eight days. And then on the eighth day, there is this climactic scene where the water pitcher is brought around and around and down and comes down and finally the water is poured out. Perhaps Psalm 718 is, is actually quoted. And then that scene of the worship service that we've planned and planned and we've done and we've done for generations is interrupted. Many New Testament commentators believe it was at that moment when the pitcher is raised and poured out and all of God's people are looking and listening after they've sang, is at that moment that Jesus stands up at the feast He says, if anybody thirsts, 
Let him come to me. That's the bombshell, folks. That's the theological bombshell was thrown right in the middle of the church picnic. Because Jesus was declaring he was, he is the source of all the Old Testament was saying comes to him. You say, well, that's okay with us because we know who he is. Well, what if somebody would have stood up last week in our Lord's Supper service and have said, I am the body and blood of Christ. If any of you want forgiveness for your sins, come unto me. Why, our hair would have stood straight up. A lot of us who can't hear very well would have said, what did he say? Did he say what I thought he said? And then when we understood it, we would have been insulted. We would have said, who does this person think he is? Is he serious? Why, this is blasphemy. And that's exactly the way that many people took what Jesus said that day. It was a bombshell in the midst of things now Many people saw it coming. They'd seen the miracles that he had performed. They had seen and heard his words and they were taken back because every sermon they heard was just somebody stringing together a bunch of quotes from the Old Testament. Nobody had any real power in it. What they had seen and heard was just ceremony after ceremony that they stood there and they listened to, but their hearts were not stirred because they'd come to a place in their own life when the word of God meant so little to them. It was just a tradition. It was just what they did. It was tied up in their politics. It was tied up in all of that. And Jesus shouts out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But listen to his words. Listen to what he says. Those words find you, don't they? They find you. Many people were there that day said, we never heard anybody speak like this. They were standing there closing their eyes to pray and all they were seeing was the backs of their eyelids. They'd never heard anybody say this, that God wanted to be that close to me, that God wanted to have a relationship with me, which from the inside, it comes and springs up into eternity that I can have life and as Jesus said, more abundantly. We're just here because grandpa was here and my great grandfather was here. And my mom and dad was here. And frankly, that's all we got. Jesus said, but I am. It was a bombshell. Thirst. It wasn't an historical event. What moved people so much is they had thirst. And because Jesus was who he was, he spoke right to the heart of people. There's not a person in this room or in the sound of my voice this morning who does not have thirst in their life. We thirst for a lot of things. I'm not gonna talk about these things this morning, but we first thirst for a lot of things. We, we thirst for a love that won't fail. 
We thirst for a love that will be there even if we make a mistake that will be there no matter what. A love that will not fail. We have a thirst to know. Does my life matter? Is there any purpose? Realize that young people, I'm talking about young adults, suicide rate is alarmingly high among them because they have lost hope. Jesus' words find us. We have a thirst because we want justice. Oh, now mind you, we don't want justice for us, but we'd like to see justice for everybody else when we look at the world. We want justice. You talk to the so-called new atheist, even in this town, and one of their big problems with God is he does not, he, he lets things go on that should not go on. If he was really a God who loved people, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. Well, God has another agenda, which is not your short-sighted one, but I guess, rest assured, in Christ, in terms of what he has done and what he did on the cross and the price he paid for sin, God intends for everybody to come to justice. That's one thing that Christians believe in. And we're to work for that in this day where we're at. We're to work for justice and for mercy. We all want justice. We want to know if life has meaning. Is this all there is? As the old song says, I think from the 50s, if this is all there is, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. What a depressing song. The first time I heard that, I thought, gee, whoever sings that, you'll never hear that in church, I hope. But you hear it sung every day. You only go around once in life, grab for all the gusto you can. Cindy and I just bought a new car. If somebody doesn't run over us, it'll probably be one of the last cars we buy for as long as you live. You'll see these old people coming to Glasgow Baptist Church. My gosh, how old is that car? You'll say, I can't believe they're still driving. We'll be in there driving. But we bought a new car. Listen to what it says, what Ford says about that car. It's going to change our lives. We don't have meaning. We have meaning now. We only got it because the Nances have one, sort of like it, and they drove in the parking lot this morning, and I see they've got these sport wheels on that thing, and we don't have that. Now, you see, I've got to pursue them because I got something that was supposed to bring happiness to me and joy, and then I found out that, the, that, that Judge Nances several thousand dollars buying a used car and he's still ahead of me. <laughs> you see what Jesus says, do you have a thirst? Do you want meaning? Do you want purpose? People were standing there without it. And because Jesus was who he was, they were moved by what he says. You remember Jesus in chapter 3 of John sat with the woman of Samaria on the well, a place he shouldn't have been, talking to a woman he shouldn't have been talking to in a place he shouldn't be talking to her. And what was this woman's problem? In a nutshell, it's this. She had sought to be loved by God, and it failed. Her seeking had failed. Listen to everybody. She's a pretty good theologian. It thought, thought sought to find the love of men. 
and she was alone. And no telling what her problems were at home. And Jesus says to her, Jesus says to that woman at the well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water and I would have given you living water and you will never thirst, but the water that I give you, him, will become in you a well of water springing up into eternal life. That was the thirst. If you live long enough and see enough, and if you turn your ear to God, you will hear him say, are you thirsty? I've got the answer. It's not a thought. It's a person. And by the Holy Spirit of God, he says to you, I am he. I came to this earth. I walked. I know what rejection is. I know what to give your all is and people not appreciate it and make fun of you. I know what all of that is. I know where you're at. I know your problem. I know you're thirsty. I can give you something that will overcome. You know what we're talking about here this morning, folks? We're talking about conversion. We're talking about being born again. We're talking about whatever word you use for it, God does something for you, you can't do for yourself. And see, we've got a lot of Baptists today and a lot of Catholics today and a lot of people in the Church of Christ today and over to Methodist Church today and down the street, the Assemblies of God. We've got a lot of people in these churches in Glasgow that don't know the Lord. They've not been converted. They think it's a great idea. They celebrate, they're moved. Bill Gaither sings and they weep they weep tears of joy. They hear the organ play and they're lifted up and there's an emotional thing, but God's not talking about an emotional experience here. God's talking about something that you decide about. And that brings us to the response. Jesus said, if you believe, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. Now, Jesus is not talking about some sentimentality there. He's not talking about what your grandfather believed, and he's not talking about what your mom and dad believed and how well you were raised. That's all great and good, and praise God for it. He's talking about believe in me. Have you believed in me? That's not sentimentality. That's not just, oh, yeah, I accept it. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just like everybody else, but I, I, you know, I just don't take it that seriously. He's not talking about that because the people that understood what Jesus said couldn't do anything else but take it seriously. I never heard anybody speak that way. They had the arrest warrant to go down and get him, and they came back and said, where's he at? And they said, we, we couldn't arrest him. We never heard it. Have you heard this guy? Have you heard him? And listen, when you come to hear the gospel, I'll tell you, it troubles your life. Because believing is not sentimentality, believing in wishful thinking. Believing is putting your trust in him. It's a commitment. 
And how do I come to that? Well, these people saw and they heard. And many of them believed he was who he said. They looked at the scripture and said, nobody could do this but what he's from God. They looked at the scripture and said, yes, but, but you know, we've got to look at who he is and what he said and what he does. He has to be from God. They saw the lives changed around them. They saw the difference in their life that the thirst they'd had that was driving them crazy that they didn't have anymore because they were born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Nick, listen, <laughs> you're a great Jew, but it's not your water birth as a Jew by your mother that makes you a child of God. It is something of the spirit. And that's what you don't understand. of the spirit Jesus said you'll never thirst again why because you're a Baptist shoot no but because God himself has come to live in a renewed and cleansed heart and sets up his tabernacle at the very center of your life so the response was what well when the scribes and Pharisees had sent the police down to arrest Jesus. They understood what Jesus was saying to them. There was no doubt in their mind. They'd been plotting to kill him for a long time. When he realized that Jesus was saying, I am God himself. I am the source. I am what that ceremony was all about. Last Sunday, the body and the blood of Jesus, as we had been observed the Lord's Supper, was exactly the gospel to all of our lives, that that is in a person, it is not in the wine, it is not in the bread, it is in the actual body and bread of Jesus Christ, who which if you're his believer, he comes to dwell in you, and that means something, and nobody can stand and say, I am the body and bread of Jesus, because we know that the Holy Spirit has come to live in us and we know it is this same experience and response that they had. We have trusted him. Scribes and Pharisees said, the problem with you people is you don't know anything. You don't know the Bible. You don't know what the Old Testament says. What they really did know is that if this man is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, if this man really is the Son of God and is God himself in flesh with us, which none quite understood at that time, if he really is who he says he is, then your job is going to radically change. And that's why we are where we are at as Baptists. We want to trust in everything. We want to busy ourselves with everything. We want to have a wonderful demonstration. We want to have all the right words and all the right songs, but when it comes down to this one fact, you have to believe in me and trust in me, and you find out that's not some decision I made at eight years old. That's something I carry with me every day, not because I'm better than anybody else, probably because I'm worse than anybody else, which is why I get down there and don't stand up here and lord anything over you. Only a sinner saved by grace that's it and God's claim upon my life and upon your life and upon the church's life his own body to act and work in this world 
is something that we carry with us every day. The scribes and Pharisees knew, and of all religious people, we know that we get set in our ways. We get our power. We get our little kingdom going on. And the Spirit of God says, I want to reach these people and you need to do this. And we say, well, no, no, Lord, not, not that. That's not me. Somebody else can do that, not me. But when the Holy Spirit comes, there's conviction. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's an illumination of God's Word. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is a tugging at a heart which God has claimed and which you've given to Him. And He says, I want you to obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And you say, why, you're a slave is all you are. Well, it's perfect slavery because there is a God who loves us and who wants to spend eternity with us. And this God has shared his mission to reach this community with this church and with you and I or from whatever church you may be in today that you listen to this from. Let's don't be dry bones in a dry place. Let's be people who believe. You say, oh, you know, preacher, I'd like to believe. I tell you, I really would, but I just don't know. There's so many things I don't know. Let me tell you, if you believe, if you believe and trust, if you trust him, knowledge comes after that. What happens to people who get saved? They just come and say, I trust you, Lord. I agree with you. I've got sin. If you can forgive me, I want you to forgive me. I, I believe you died on the cross. I'm trying to believe that. I want to trust that in my life. What happens? Well, the Holy Spirit comes in and people who've grown up in other religions and other faiths, which are about half Christian, they say, you know what I was overwhelmed with when I became a Christian? I was overwhelmed with the love of God. I never knew God could love me like he did. Why? Because they were born again. Let's stand and sing this morning. And I ask you, do you want to be born again? Do you want to know God in that you want to have your thirst quenched as only God can do? Your sins forgiven, established in a relationship with him. If you want that, would you come? Would you meet me here? I want to talk with you. I want to pray with you. And if you say, well, I, I don't want to come down the aisle, preacher, I understand that. We're going to be outside these doors. Brother JJ will be over there. Then I want you to come and be a part of that. You may want to come and rededicate your life. This is still an altar. We still have it there. And really, the altar is for Christians. It's not for lost people, but we call you to come here. Would you come? Do you hear the words of Jesus? Would you trust him? He won't let you down.